Um, I've titled today's sermon, Living in Light, and um, kind of just to give you a little bit of a backstory of, of this sermon, um, I watched a, a documentary this past week about Hillsong. It's a church that was started over in Australia and made its way over to America, and um, they release a lot of worship music and stuff, but they also they have a megachurch, and they have several megachurches, and basically it was about the corruption of that church and how, um, in a lot of ways, their sermons and their services were just things to make you feel good, but then there their, uh, was a lot of hypocrisy going on there, and there was a lot of following after these preachers that was going on and not following after God. And so um, it talked about how they kind of had cult-like behavior, and it really just kind of left me speechless. It left me with this feeling and this sense of what, what am I even going to preach about this week? And the Lord turned my mind to First John. And so that's where we're going to be uh, reading here today in First John. Um, and just to give you a little bit of, ba- of, a, of the backstory of, of First John and, and John himself, it's believed that John was actually ended up being the oldest disciple of all of the disciples. They believe that he kind of made it to his 90s. So he was an older man, and he was writing this letter from the island of Patmos. He was uh, sent there um, because of his belief in Christ. So let's go ahead and just start reading um, in 1 John. Starting in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus here. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And This is an elderly man, a wise man, a man who has been with Jesus, and he's about to tell us, okay, these are some things that you need to do so you may be full of joy. And we're going to stop there for just a second. But John was very interesting in his writings and his the person that he was because he had a way of penetrating our hearts with the truth about the reality of our relationship with God And he was a very focused writer. He knows exactly what he wanted to accomplish in his writings. 1 John is one of those books that is as deep as the ocean, but yet it's simple enough to read with benefit and to understand. The reason why this letter was written is laid out clearly. In chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wrote 1 John so that we may know that we believe and that we can continue to believe. Another purpose statement is found in the, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. It says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And here he says again, and these things we write to you that our joy may be full. In other words, John is saying that in this little letter, it's going to be full, and he's going to show you how to be full of abundant joy in your walk with God. And if I once again realize that this is his purpose for this book, I want to read this so I know what I need to have that full joy in my life. And he wants us to know that we have eternal life, but he realizes that it's possible to have knowledge about something, but not have the benefit of it. His desire is that we have the fullness of joy in our lives, and this word here, joy, is the only time that he uses this word in this epistle. How many of you know Christians who don't have any joy? And I know at certain points we all feel like we don't have joy, but what John wants us to know is that he wrote this letter so that we may have full joy. Joy is a kind of quiet inner excitement that results when we experience the fellowship that John is writing about here. John says that God Almighty wants us to have an inner excitement about our walk with him. Some people, they have that, but others don't. And it's because they don't understand the principles that John is going to unfold to us in this letter. True Christianity is more than a religion. It is new life in Jesus Christ. And this new life is a life of joy. So in these few verses at the beginning of this chapter, John gives us the secret to true joy in our lives. He says that this joy is to be found in fellowship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. He is speaking of both fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. He's saying, in essence, that if we are in fellowship with God, we will also be in fellowship with others who are in fellowship with God. John is saying that fellowship with God is the key to our joy, and fellowship with God is also the key to fellowship with others. Do you have that joy? And I ask myself that question as well. Is there an inner peace within your soul and within my soul that carries us through even the most difficult situations and seasons in our life? John was writing this letter when Diocletian was the emperor of Rome. And if you know anything about this emperor, he was vicious and cruel, and he even made Nero look like a saint. He killed anyone who got in his way, and especially Christians. And yet John was writing this out of that type of environment and was saying that I want you to know in a situation like this, you can have full joy and fellowship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. John, he kind of has a strategic approach to this. He's assuming that, first of all, we are going to have challenges, and there are challenges for a lot of us. And that while we want to have full joy, we don't. So where are you at in all of this? John is going to give us three little phrases in the next verses that will help us figure out why we might not have joy. And it's the little phrase, if we say. You'll notice three times in this first chapter, John says, if we say. He says it in verse 6, 8, and 10. And these are sort of like introductory points that we don't want to miss. John's going to tell us that there are things that we do as Christians that rob us of the joy that God wants us to have. And I like for us today to open our hearts to the word and to God and say, maybe there's something here for me. 
and ask yourself, what does the Lord want to say to me out of his word today? John says that there are three things here that we do to forfeit our joy or to lose that joy that we have in our life. And he begins by teaching us in this first part in verses 5 through 7 that we give up our joy when we fail to recognize the power of sin. Let's go ahead and read those verses. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So watch John's argument here. His claim is, first of all, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And when John describes God as light, he's saying that God is infinitely holy, infinitely pure, infinitely righteous, and in him is absolutely no pollution and no darkness. At the center of our joy as Christians is our relationship with God, and it's important to know this about God, that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And that's awesome. It's an awesome thought. And how is it that I can have a fellowship with God who is perfect and righteous and in whom there is no darkness? And we know the answer to that. The answer is that Jesus came. God sent Jesus to be our substitute for our sin. He paid the penalty for us on the cross and invited us into fellowship with God the Father through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The last time that I preached, I talked about being in Christ. And since we are in Christ, now we take on everything that Christ has. And he paid that penalty for us. And it means that when we learn from the word of God that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, that if we are going to have joy and fellowship with God and fellowship with others who are also in fellowship with him, it has something to do with light. John tells us that one of the reasons that we can lose our joy is that we forget that if we don't walk in the light as he is in the light, we're going to lose our joy and we lose our sense of relationship with him. God is light and those who walk with God must walk in light as well. So what does that mean if we walk in darkness? I don't think that he's talking here about being unsaved. He's talking here to believers and saying that children who are believers sometimes walk in darkness. Well, what is darkness? And the simplest way to understand darkness is that it's the absence of light. When a person begins to stray away from obedience to God and he gets involved in some sort of darkness, he starts to do some things that aren't according to the word of God and he starts avoiding the, the light as much as possible. He starts avoiding the word of God. And why is that? That's because you get light from the word of God. What does the psalmist say about the word of God? He says that your word is a path and it's a lamp unto my feet. When you become a Christian and you start to maybe slip back into some things that you shouldn't do and forget about the power of sin, you begin to walk in darkness and you get away from the light. And one of the things that, or one of the signs that you'll notice um, 
is that you're in trouble is when you don't feel like coming to church. That's because light and the Bible is opened in church, and through the Word of God, there's light. And then the second thing that you'll notice is that you don't want to read the Bible or pray anymore. So you stop reading the Bible and stop praying and stop coming to church. And the next thing that happens is that you don't want to be around other believers because those who are walking in the light are a condemnation to those who are not walking in the light and to those who are walking in darkness. And when you get around people who are walking in fellowship with God and you recognize that you're in the darkness, that's not a good feeling. So what John is saying, that John is saying that you can lose your joy by forgetting about the power of sin and you start walking in darkness to avoid the light. So when you do that, what's the condemnation for that? Well, here's the condemnation. The claim was that if we say that we walk in the light, but we're walking in the darkness, then we lie. Notice the condemnation in verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says that those who say that they're walking in the light and actually walking in darkness are lying. And that's pretty evident. They're not practicing the truth. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And in every one of these little illustrations that John is going to give us, he's going to give us three things. First of all, he's going to give us the claim that we make, the condemnation that the Word of God puts on that claim, and then finally the cure for it. So we may not like the first two, and they may make us feel uncomfortable, but we should like the cure. So in verse 7 it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if you've gotten into darkness and you're asking, how do I get out of it? How do I get back into the light? Here's two things that you can do. First of all, change your walk. Notice again in verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If you've been confronted that you're walking in darkness, what do you do? What is your response to that? You turn away and you walk back toward the light, and you walk back towards the church, and you walk back to the word, and you walk back to your Christian friends, and you live again, and you repent. To repent means to literally change your direction, to go the other way and to start walking in the light. And you may say that you just don't feel like it. Well, be obedient to God. Just do it. Sometimes I don't know why we always feel like we, we need to feel like we want to do something in order to do it. There are times in life when we just have to do it, and that's what John is saying here. He says that if you're walking in the darkness, change your direction and begin to walk in the light. So there's the changing of our walk, and then secondly, there's the cleansing of our hearts. He says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I want you guys to get the impact of this. When we recognize that we've been walking in darkness and we turn from the darkness and repent from our sin and begin to walk in the light, here is God's wonderful promise to us. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Literally what this means is that the blood of Jesus keeps on constantly cleansing us. When we get caught in darkness and in, in my life, what I 
get caught in darkness and I start walking back toward the light, inevitably, when we put away some sins and the light is turned on, we're going to see these other sins that we're dealing with. And we're going to be on this constant relationship with God and to be renewing us and to be recognizing these sins and constantly turning away from them. So he cleanses us from that and he cleanses us from the sins of omission and ignorance and the sins that we don't necessarily know anything about in our lives because we haven't grown in grace enough yet to see them. And there's a cleansing that goes on in our hearts when we're determined to walk in the light. It's because we can see those flaws and we're determined to change that and to change our direction. When we're doing what we believe God wants us to do to the best of our knowledge, God says that I'm going to provide this cleansing for you. And that way you don't have to lose your joy. And if you're in this type of situation, change your walk, accept the cleansing of the Lord, and have joy again. It's that simple. And it's not, it's not like it's easy believism or something. It's the simple truth of the word of God. We forfeit our joy when we fail to recognize the power of sin. Now notice, secondly, that we forfeit our joy when we fail to recognize the presence of sin. So here's the claim in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin. There were some in John's day, just like in ours, who claimed that a person who decided to become a follower of Christ, his sin nature was completely eradicated, and the only thing that was left was this good nature. And there are people today that say the same thing, that only the good nature exists. But I don't know what they do with this verse. It's funny because I wonder that the people that say this, if someone were to slap them upside the head, I wonder if their sin nature would still be gone then. I wonder if it's only their good nature that would last. Or if a guy is claiming that he has no sin nature, maybe you should go and talk to his wife and, she, and see what she thinks. I think that that's sort of silly, but yet people believe that. So here's the condemnation if you think that. If we say you know, that we don't have any sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. A person who says that we have no sin is simply just leading themselves astray. The truth isn't changed. God isn't deceived by their empty claim, and most believers aren't fooled by it either. And John says here that the truth is not in them. When we walk in darkness instead of light, we are deceiving others about our relationship with God. And we're claiming, you know, that we're walking with God, but yet we're living in darkness. It's no wonder that that's so confusing to the non-believer because we're so hypocritical about it. And when we say that we have no sin, we're also deceiving ourselves. God didn't take away your sin nature. He gave you a new nature. So here's the cure. If you think that you have no sin, John just avoids it. He says, I'm not even going to deal with that. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has provided for the sin of the believer. And he says that if we are to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from those sins and from all unrighteousness. Do you know what this word confess means? It doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, forgive me, and then flippantly go on and do the exact same that we were doing. 
No, that word confess is a hard word. It means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. It means to admit your sin and not cover it up. We are in an environment in our churches where we'll do almost anything but ask people to repent and confess and change their ways. We want to be positive. We don't want to do anything to disturb or offend anyone. So we never deal with it. If you are in sin in your life, you'll never get that joy back until you deal with that sin and you confess it. Let me give you an illustration to explain what I mean. You remember the, the David's sin with Bathsheba? Psalm 51.4 says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David said that, David is saying here that, yes, I did sin against Bathsheba, and yes, I sinned against her husband. But first and foremost, and most importantly, I sinned against you. And confession is to acknowledge your sin against God and agree with God that you sinned. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." John is outlining here what to do with our sin, and every one of us has to deal with that because we're human. We sin. The third thing here that John gives us in this list is that we forfeit our joy when we fail to recognize the practice of sin. So here's the claim in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, so this is a person that doesn't recognize the sin in his life and he rationalizes his sin. Perhaps someone has pointed out his sin in his life and he refuses to accept the fact of his sin. And this goes on all the time. People just won't admit that what they have done is sin. They have an excuse, and we have an excuse for everything. But the thing of it is, is that you can't just pick out a list of sins that you like, and you know, there's only one list, there's only one Bible, and it's all sin against God. You don't get to choose, pick and choose what, what sins you're okay with and which ones you're just not going to think about. God has given us his moral code, and in that code, there are things that he asks of us. And I want you to realize that none of them are to hurt us, therefore are good. God doesn't tell us to do things just to be an authoritarian. He says, don't do this, because if you do this, it will ruin what I have for you, the joy that I have for you. It will ruin that, this something that I have better. So God always tells us to say no to something so that we can say yes to that something better and to what he has for us. And when you ruin your life through sin, you're only destroying God's perfect pur purpose for you. He's not saying don't do this because he wants you to be uncomfortable or unhappy. He's trying to keep you from a road that will destroy your life. Without full disclosure of sin, the gospel becomes ineffective because there's no need for Jesus' sacrifice. If we're just preaching these good, positive things, and there's no negative, then there's no need for Jesus. And when we have these positive services and don't confront sin, we're not helping people. We're actually hurting them. 
They may walk out of the service and they may have good feelings, but when they're confronted with the reality of sin in their life, they don't know what to do with it. And how do people even know how to deal with sin if you don't even ever talk about it or if you don't even recognize that it's sin? How can you help people through their problems with sin if you're not going to recognize it? So if you say that, here's the condemnation that John gives us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. When we do this, essentially what we're doing is we're blaming God and we're making him out to be a liar. He says that it is sin, and we're trying to say that it's not. Since we don't take responsibility for our sin, we then put the blame on him. We're always denying our sin, and we have to get back to him and recognize that he gives us all that we need. But when we walk in darkness and we ignore the light, when we stray away from the influences that take us in the right direction, and we allow the wrong influences to pull us into the wrong direction, we have no reason to believe anything other than what has happened to us. So notice here the cure. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. <coughs> John uses the word children here, and it's one of his favorite words to use because it points to the nearness of every believer to our Father in heaven. He writes to these children who are believers and, said, and says that his hope and his goal for us is that we don't sin. But he's not writing this saying that we can continue on, saying, continue, continue on sinning. He's not saying to go on and sin so that grace may abound. He's saying that I've written these things so that you won't sin. But the reality here, you know, it's here that we're flawed humans and we're not perfect yet and we're going to sin. John says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you're walking in fellowship with the Lord and you sin, remember that there's one in heaven who's your advocate, your lawyer, your counselor, and he stands before God as the righteous one. And when the enemy says, look at Tyler, look at what he's done, God says, yeah, but look at Jesus and what he has done. He is the righteous one, and he forgives your sin. God has made a way so that we may have joy. And when we sin against God and then confess our sins and realize that the sin ultimately hurts him, and we ask for his forgiveness, then our fellowship with him is restored. Don't ever get to the place where when you sin, you think that you, God could never love you or never forgive your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will restore the joy that you have lost. And there's one thing that's more powerful than any sin you have committed, and that is the grace of God. And his grace is greater than all of our sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what John had to say in this letter. We thank you that even when we're in circumstances and even when we walk in darkness 
if we turn to the light, if we turn to you and confess our sins, you are faithful. And I thank you so much for the grace that you have for each one of us. And that grace is greater than all of our sins. And we praise you and we thank you for that. And we pray that as we walk this life, that we will walk in the light as you are in the light. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.